Chapter 10 of The White Mall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. The White Mall by Frank L. Packard. Chapter 10 On the Brink. Rhoda Gray moved quietly, inch by inch, along the side of the wall to gain a vantage point more nearly opposite the lighted doorway, and then she stopped again. She could see quite clearly now, that is, there was nothing now to obstruct her view, but the light was miserable and poor, and the single gas jet that wheeled and flickered did little more than disperse the shadows from its immediate neighborhood in that inner room. But she could see enough. She could see the bent and ill-clad figure of Nicky Viner, as she remembered him, an old, gray-bearded man, wringing his hands in groveling misery, while the mumbling voice, now whining and pleading, now servile, now plucking up courage to indulge in abuse, kept on without even, it seemed, a pause for breath. She could see the adventurer, quite unmoved, quite debonair, a curiously patient smile on his face, standing there, much nearer to her, his right hand in the pocket of his coat, a somewhat significant habit of his, his left hand holding a sheaf of folded, legal-looking documents. And then she heard the adventurer speak. "'What a flow of words,' said the adventurer, in a bored voice. "'You will forgive me, my dear Mr. Viner, if I appear to be facetious, which I am not, but money talks. "'You are a thief, a robber,' The old gray-bearded figure rocked on its feet and kept wringing its hands. "'Get out of here! Get out! Do you hear? Get out! You come to steal from a poor man, and—' "'Must we go over all that again?' interrupted the adventurer wearily. "'I have not come to steal anything. I have simply come to sell you these papers, which I am quite sure, once you control yourself, and give the matter a little calm consideration, you are really most anxious to buy, at any price.' "'It's a lie,' the other croaked hoarsely. "'The papers are a lie. I am innocent. I haven't got any money. None. I haven't any. I am poor, an old man, and poor.' Rhoda Gray felt the blood flush hotly in her cheeks. Somehow she could feel no sympathy for that cringing figure in there, but she felt a hot resentment toward that dapper, immaculately dressed, and self-possessed young man, who stood there, silently now, tapping the papers with provoking coolness against the edge of the plain deal table in front of him. And somehow the resentment seemed to take on a most peculiar phase. She resented the fact that she should feel resentment, no matter what the man did or said. It was as though, instead of anger, impersonal anger, at this low, miserable act of his, she felt ashamed of him. Her hand clenched fiercely as she crouched against the wall. It wasn't true. She felt nothing of the sort. Why should she be ashamed of him? What was he to her? He was frankly a thief, wasn't he? And he was at his pitiful calling now, down to the lowest dregs of it. What else did she expect? Because he had the appearance of a gentleman, was it that her sense of gratitude for what she owed him had made her, deep down in her soul, actually cherish the belief that he really was one, made her hope it, and nourished that hope into belief? Tighter her hand clenched. Her lips parted, and her breath came in short, hard inhalations. Was it true? 
was it all only an added misery where it had seemed there could be none to add to her life in these last few days was it true that there was no price she would not have paid to have found him in any role but this abased one that he was playing now the adventurer broke the silence quite so my dear mr viner he agreed smoothly it would appear then from what you say that i have been mistaken even stupidly so i am afraid and in that case i can only apologize for my intrusion and as you so delicately put it get out he slipped the papers with a philosophic shrug of his shoulders into his inside coat pocket and then took a backward step toward the door i bid you good night then mr viner the papers as you state are doubtlessly of no value to you so you can of course have no objection to my handing them over to the police who no no wait wait the other whispered wildly wait ah murmured the adventurer i i'll the bent old figure was clawing at his beard i'll buy them suggested the adventurer pleasantly yes i'll i'll buy them i i've got a little money only a little all i've been able to save in years uh, a hundred dollars how much did you say inquired the adventurer coldly two hundred the voice was a maudlin whine the adventurer took another step backward toward the door three hundred another step five a thousand the adventurer laughed suddenly that's better he said where you keep a thousand you keep the rest where is the thousand mr viner the bent figure hesitated a moment and then with what sounded like a despairing cry pointed to the table it's there he whimpered god's curses on you for the thief you are rhoda gray found her eyes fixed in sudden strained fascination on the table as she imagined the adventurers were too it was bare of any covering nor were there any articles on its surface nor as far as she could see was there any drawer now the adventurer his right hand still in his coat pocket and bulging there where she knew quite well it grasped his revolver stepped abruptly to the table facing the other with the table between them the bent old figure hesitated and then with the despairing cry again grasped the top of the table and jerked it toward him the surface seemed to slide sideways a little a matter of two or three inches and then stick there but the adventurer in an instant had thrust the fingers of his left hand into the crevice he drew out a number of loose banknotes and thrust his fingers in again for a further supply open it wider he commanded curtly i i'm trying to the other mumbled and bent down to peer under the table it's stuck the catch is underneath and it seemed to rhoda gray gazing into the dimly lighted room as though she were suddenly held spellbound as in some horrible and amazing trance like a hideous jack-in-the-box the gray head popped above the level of the table again and as quick as a flash a revolver was thrust into the adventurer's face and the adventurer caught at a disadvantage since his hand in his coat pocket was below the intervening tabletop stood there as though instantaneously transformed into some motionless inanimate thing his fingers still gripping at another sheaf of banknotes that he had been in the act of scooping out from the narrow aperture and then again rhoda gray stared and stared now as though bereft of her senses and upon her crept cold and deadly a fear and a terror that seemed to engulf her very soul itself the head that looked like a jack-in-the-box was gone 
the gray beard seemed to suddenly be shorn away, and the gray hair, too, and to fall and flutter to the table, and the bent shoulders were not bent any more, and it wasn't Nicky Viner at all. Only a clever, a wonderfully clever impersonation that had been helped out by the poor and meager light. A terror gripped her again, for it wasn't Nicky Viner. Those narrowed eyes, that leering, gloating face, those working lips, were danglers. And as from some far distance, dulled because her consciousness was dulled, she heard Dangler speak. "'Perhaps you'll take your hand out of that right coat pocket of yours now,' sneered Dangler, "'and take it out empty.' The adventurer's face, as nearly as Rhoda could see, had not moved a muscle. He obeyed now, coolly with a shrug of his shoulders. Dangler appeared to experience no further trouble with the surface of the table now. He suddenly jerked it almost off, displaying what Rhoda Gray now knew to be the remainder of a large package of banknotes he had taken from the garret earlier that evening. "'Help yourself to the rest,' he invited caustically. "'There isn't fifty thousand there, but you're quite welcome to all there is, in return for those papers.' The adventurer was apparently obsessed with an inspection of his fingernails. He began to polish those of one hand with the palm of the other. "'Quite so, Dangler,' he said coolly. "'I admit it. I am ashamed of myself. "'I hate to think I could be caught by you, "'but I suppose I can find some self-extenuating circumstances. "'You seem to have risen to an amazingly high order of intelligence. "'In fact, for you, Dangler, it's not bad at all.' "'He went on polishing his nails. "'Would you mind taking that out of my face?' Even you ought to be able to handle it effectively, a few inches further away. Under the studied insult, Dangler's face had grown a mottled red. "'Damn you!' he snarled. "'I'll take it away when I get good and ready, and by that time I have you talking out of the other side of your mouth. See? Do you know what you're up against, you slick dude?' "'I have a fairly good imagination,' replied the adventurer smoothly. "'You have, eh?' mimicked Dangler wickedly. "'Well, you don't need to imagine anything. "'I'll give you the straight goods, so there won't be any chance of a mistake. "'And never mind about the higher order of intelligence. "'It was high enough, and a little to spare, to make you walk into the trap. "'I hoped I'd get you both, you and that she-pal, the white mall, that you'd come here together. "'But I'm not kicking. It's a pretty good start to get you.' "'Is it necessary to make a speech?' complained the adventurer monotonously. I can't help listening, of course. You can make up your mind for yourself when I'm through, whether it's necessary or not, retorted Dangler viciously. I've got a little proposition to put to you, and maybe it'll help you to add two and two together, if I let you see all the cards. Understand? You've had your run of luck lately, quite a bit of it, haven't you? You and the White Mall? Well, it's my turn now. You've been queering our game to the limit, curse you. Dangler thrust his working face a little further over the table, and nearer to the adventurer. Well, what was the answer? Where did you get the dope you've made your plays with? It was a cinch, wasn't it, that there was a leak somewhere in our crowd? He laughed out suddenly. You poor fool! Did you think you could pull that sort of stuff forever? Did you? Well, then, how do you like the leak tonight? You get the idea, don't you? Everybody! Every last soul that is in this with us got the details of what they thought was a straight play tonight, and it leaked to you, as I knew it would, 
and you walked into the trap, as I knew you would, because the bait was good and juicy, and looked the easiest thing to annex that ever happened. Fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand nothing. All you had to do was get a few papers that it wouldn't bother any crook to get, even a near crook like you, and then come here and screw the money out of a helpless old man, who was supposed to have been discovered to be a miser. Easy, wasn't it? Only old Nicky Viner wasn't a miser. We chose Nicky because of what happened two years ago. It made things look pretty near right, didn't it? Looked straight, that part about Perlmer, too, didn't it? That was the come-on. Perlmer never saw those papers you've got in your pocket. I doped them out, and we planted them nice and handy where you could get them without much trouble in the drawer of Perlman's desk, and— It's a long story, interrupted the adventurer, with quiet insolence. It's got a short ending, said Dangler, with an ugly leer. We could have bumped you off when you went for those papers, but if you went that far, you'd come further, and that wasn't the place to do it, and we couldn't cover ourselves there the way we could here. This is the place. We brought that trick table here a while ago, as soon as we got rid of Nicky Viner. That was the only bit of stage setting we had to do to make the story ring true right up to the curtain, in case it was necessary. It wouldn't have been necessary if you and the White Mall had both come together, for then you would neither of you got any further than that other room. It would have ended there. But we weren't taking any chances. I'll pay you the compliment of admitting that we weren't counting on getting you off your guard any too easily, if, as it happened, you came alone. For being alone, or if either of you were alone, there was that little proposition that had to be settled, instead of just knocking you on the head in the dark in that other room. And so, as I say, we weren't overlooking any bets on account of the little trouble it took to plant that table and the money. We tried to think of everything." Dangler paused for a moment to mock the adventurer with narrowed eyes. "'That's the story. Here's the end. I hoped I'd get you both together, you and the White Mall. I didn't. But I've got you. I didn't get both of you, and that's what gives you a chance for your life, because she's worth more to us than you are. If you'd been together, you would have gone out together. As it is, I'll see that you don't do any more harm anyway. But you get one chance.' Where is she? If you answer that, you will, of course, answer a minor question and locate that leak for me that I was speaking about a moment ago. But we'll take the main thing first. And you can take your choice between a bullet and a straight answer. Where is the white mall? Rhoda Gray's hand felt out along the wall for support. Was this a dream, some ghastly, soul-terrifying nightmare? Dangler? Those working lips? that callous viciousness, that leer in the degenerate face. It seemed to bring a weakness to her limbs, and seek to rob her of her strength to stand. She could not even hope against hope. She knew that Dangler was in deadly earnest. Dangler would not have the slightest compunction, let alone hesitation, in carrying out his threat. Terrified now, her eyes sought the adventurer. Didn't the adventurer know Dangler as she knew him? Didn't he realize there was deadly earnest behind Dangler's words? Was the man mad, that he stood there utterly unmoved, as though he had no consideration on earth other than those carefully manicured fingernails of his? And then Dangler spoke again. "'Do you notice anything special about this gun I'm holding on you?' he demanded in low menace. The adventurer did not even look up. "'Oh, yes,' he said indifferently. 
I fancy you got it out of a dime novel, didn't you? One of those silencer things? Yes, said Dangler grimly. One of those silencer things. Where is she? The adventurer made no answer. The color in Dangler's face deepened. I'll make things even a little plainer to you, he said with brutal coolness. There are two men in our organization from whom it is absolutely impossible that that leak could have come. Those two men followed you from Perlmer's office to this place. They are in the next room now, waiting for me to get through with you, and ready for anything if they are needed. But they won't be needed. That's not the way it works out. This gun won't make much noise, and it isn't likely to arouse the inmates of this dive. But even if it does, it doesn't matter very much. We aren't going out by the front door. The two of them, the minute they hear the shot, slip in here and lock the door. You see, it's got a good husky bolt on it. And then we beat it by the fire escape that runs past the window there. Get the idea? And don't kid yourself into thinking that I am taking any risk with the consequences on account of the coroner having got busy because a man was found dead on the floor. Nicky Viner stands for that. It isn't the first time he's been suspected of murder. See? Nicky was easy. He'd crawl on his hands and knees from the battery to Harlem any time if I held a little money in front of his nose. He's been fooled up to the eyes with a faked up message that he's supposed to deliver secretly to some faked up crooks out west. He's just about starting away on the train now. And that's where the police nab him, running away from the murder he's pulled in his room here tonight. Looks kind of bad for Nicky Viner, eh? We should worry. It cost a hundred dollars and his ticket. Cheap, wasn't it? I guess you're worth that much to us. A dull horror seized upon Rhoda Gray. It seemed to clog and confuse her mind. She fought it frantically, striving to think, and to think clearly. Every detail seemed to have been planned with satanic foresight and ingenuity, and yet, and yet, yes, in one little thing, Dangler had made a mistake. That was why she was here now. That was why those men in the next room had not been out in the hall on guard, or even in the street on watch for her. Dangler had naturally gone upon the supposition that the adventurer and herself worked hand in glove, whereas they were as much in the dark concerning each other's movements as Dangler himself was. Therefore Dangler, and logically enough from his view, had jumped to the conclusion that, since they had not come together, only one of them, the adventurer, was acting in the affair tonight, and Dangler's voice was rasping in her ears. "'I'm not going to stand here all night,' he snarled. "'You've got one chance.' I've told you what it is. You're lucky to have it. We'd sooner have you out of the way for keeps. I'd rather drop you in your tracks than let you live. Where is the white mall? The adventurer was side-faced to the doorway again, and Rhoda Gray saw him smile contemptuously at Dangler now. Really, he said blandly, I haven't the slightest idea in the world. Dangler laughed ironically. You lie, he flung out hoarsely. Do you think you can get away with that? Well, think again. Sooner or later, it will be all the same whether you talk or not. We caught you tonight in a trap. We'll catch her in another. Our hand doesn't show here. She'll think that Nicky Viner was a little too much for you, that's all. Come on, quick. Are you fool enough to misunderstand? The don't-know stuff won't get you by. The misunderstanding seems to be on your side. There was a cold, irritating deliberation in the adventurer's voice. 
I repeat that I do not know where the young lady you refer to can be found, but I do not make that statement with any idea that you would believe it. To occur, I suppose that it is necessary to add that, even if I did know, I should take pleasure in seeing you damned before I told you. Dangler's face was like a devil's. His revolver held a steady bead on the adventurer's head. "'I'll give you one last chance,' he said through closed teeth. "'I'll fire when I count three. One. A horrible fascination held Rhoda Gray. If she cried out, it was more likely than not to cause Dangler to fire on the instant. It would not save the adventurer in any case. It would be but the signal, too, for those two men in the next room to rush in here. Two. It seemed as though, not in the hope that it would do any good, but because she was going mad with horror, that she would scream out until the place rang and rang again with her outcries. Even her soul was in frantic panic. Quick! Quick! She must act! She must! But how? Was there only one way? She was conscious that she had drawn her revolver as though by instinct. Dangler's life, or the adventurer's. But she shrank from taking life. Her lips were breathing a prayer. They had called her a crack shot back there in South America, when she had hunted and ridden with her father. It was easy enough to hit Dangler, but it might mean Dangler's life. It was not easy to hit Dangler's arm, or Dangler's hand, or the revolver Dangler held, and if she risked that, and missed, she— Three— There was the roar of a report that was racketing through the silence like a cannon shot, and the short, vicious-tongued flame from Rhoda Gray's revolver muzzle stabbed through the black. There was a scream of mingled surprise and fury, and the revolver in Dangler's hand clattered to the floor. She saw the adventurer spring, quick as a panther, at the other, and she saw him whip blow after blow with terrific force into Dangler's face. She heard a rush of feet coming from the corridor behind her, and she flung herself forward into the room, and panting, snatched at the door and slammed it shut, and groping for the bolt, found it, and shot it home in its grooves. As she stood there, weak for a moment, and drew her hands across her eyes, and behind her they pounded on the door, and there came a burst of oaths, and in front of her the adventurer was smiling gravely, as he covered Dangler with Dangler's own revolver. And Dangler, as though dazed and half-stunned from the blows that he had received, rocked unsteadily upon his feet. And then her eyes widened a little. The pounding on the door, the shouts, the noise— was beginning to arouse what inmates there were in the tenement, and there wasn't an instant to lose. But the adventurer was now calmly gathering up, to the last one, and pocketing them, the banknotes with which Dangler had baited his trap. And he crammed the money into his pockets as he spoke to her, with a curious softness, a great, strange gentleness in his voice. "'I owe you my life, Miss Gray. That was a wonderful shot. You knocked the revolver from his hand without even grazing his fingers.' A wonderful shot, and, will you let me say, you are a very wonderful woman. Oh, quick, she whispered wildly, I am afraid this door will not hold. There is the window and the fire escape, so our friend here was good enough to inform me, said the adventurer, as he composedly pocketed the last dollar. Will you open the window, Miss Gray, if you please? I am afraid I hit Mr. Dangler a little urgently, and he is still somewhat groggy. I fancy he will need a little assistance. I imagine, he caught Dangler suddenly by the collar of his coat, as Rhoda Gray ran to the window and flung it up, and rushed the man unceremoniously across the room. I imagine it would be a mistake to leave him behind. 
he might open the door, or even be unpleasant enough to throw something down on us from above. Also, he should serve very well as a hostage. Will you go first, please, Miss Gray? She climbed quickly over the sill to the iron platform. Dangler was dragged through by the adventurer, mumbling and evidently still in a half-dazed condition. Windows were opening here and there. From back inside the room the blows rained more heavily upon the door, and now there came a rip and a rend of wood, as though a panel had crashed in. "'Hurry, please, Miss Gray,' prompted the adventurer. It was dark, almost too dark to see her footing. She felt her way down. It was only one story above the ground, and it did not take long, but it seemed hours since she had fired that shot, though she knew the time had been measured by scarcely more than a minute. And now, on the lower platform, waiting for that queer, double-twisting shadow of the two men to join her, she heard the adventurer's voice ring out sharply. "'This is your chance, Dangler. I didn't waste time to bring you along because it afforded me any amusement.' They've found their heads at last, and gone to the next window, instead of wasting time at the door. They can't reach the fire escape there, but if they fire a shot, you go out. You'd better tell them so, and tell them quick. And then Dangler's voice shrieked out in sudden, For God's sake, don't shoot! They were all on the lower platform together now. The adventurer was pressing the muzzle of his revolver into the small of Dangler's back, and was still supporting the man by the collar of his coat. I think, said the adventurer abruptly, that we can now dispense with Mr. Dangler's services, and I'm sure a little cool night air out here on the fire escape will do him good. Miss Gray, would you mind? There's a pair of handcuffs in my left-hand coat pocket. Handcuffs! She could have laughed out idiotically. Handcuffs! They seemed the most incongruous things in the world for the adventurer to have, and she felt mechanically in his pocket and handed them to him. There was a click as the cuff snapped over Dangler's wrist, another as the other cuff snapped shut around the ironed hand-railing of the fire-escape. The act seemed to arouse Dangler, both mentally and physically. He tore and wrenched at the steel links now, and burst suddenly raving into oaths. "'Hold your tongue, Dangler,' ordered the adventurer in cold menace, and as the other, cowed, obeyed, the adventurer swung himself over the platform and dropped to the ground. "'Come, Miss Gray, drop.' "'I'll catch you,' he called in a low voice. "'One step takes us around the corner of the tenement into the lane, "'and Mr. Dangler won't let them fire at us before we can make that, "'when we could still fire at him.' "'She obeyed, swinging at arm's length. "'She felt his hands fold about her in a firm grasp "'as she let go of her hold, and she caught her breath suddenly. "'She did not know why, as she felt the hot blood sweep her face, "'and then she was standing on the ground.' Now, he whispered, together. They sped around the corner of the tenement. A yell from Dangler followed them. An echoing yell from above answered, and then a fusillade of abortive shots, and the sound as of boot-heels clattering on the iron rungs of the fire-escape. And then, more faintly, for they were putting distance behind them as fast as they could run, an excited outburst of profanity and exclamations. "'They won't follow,' panted the adventurer." Those shots of theirs outdoors will have alarmed the police, and they'll try and get Dangler free first. It's lucky your shot inside wasn't heard by that patrolman on the beat. I was afraid of that. But we're safe now, from Dangler's crowd at least. But still they ran. They crossed an intersecting street, and continued on along the lane. Then, swerving into the next intersecting street, moderated their pace to a rapid walk. 
and stopped finally as Rhoda Gray drew suddenly into the shadows of another alleyway and held out her hand. They were both safe now, as he had said, and there were so many reasons why, though her resolution faltered a little, she should go the rest of the way alone. She was not sure that she trusted this strange gentleman, who was a thief, with his pockets crammed even now with the money that had lured him almost to his death, but she was not altogether sure that she distrusted him. But all that was secondary. She must, as soon as she could, get back to Gypsy Nan's garret. Like the other night, she dare not take the risk that Dangler, by any chance, might return there, and find her gone after what had just happened. The man would be beside himself with fury, suspicious of everything, and suspicion would be fatal in its consequences for her. And so she must go. And she could not become Gypsy Nan again, with the adventurer looking on. "'We part here,' she said a little unsteadily. "'Good night.' "'Oh, I say, Miss Gray,' he protested quickly. "'You don't mean that. "'Why, look here. "'I haven't had a chance to tell you what I think, "'or what I feel, about what you've done tonight, for me.' "'She shook her head. "'There is nothing you need say,' she answered quietly. "'We are quits. "'You have done quite as much for me.' "'But see here, Miss Gray,' he pleaded. "'Can't we come to some understanding?' We seem to have a jolly lot in common. Is it quite necessary, really necessary, that you should keep off at an arm's length? Couldn't you let down the bars just a little? Couldn't you tell me, for instance, where I could find you in case of real necessity? She shook her head again. No, she said, it is impossible. He drew a little closer. A sudden earnestness deepened his voice, made it a little rasp, as though it were not wholly within control. "'And suppose, Miss Gray, that I refuse to leave you, or let you go, now that I have you here, unless you give me more of your confidence. What then?' "'The other night,' she said slowly, "'you informed me, among other things, that you were a gentleman. I believed the other things.' He did not answer for a moment, and then he smiled whimsically. "'You score, Miss Gray,' he murmured. "'Good night, then,' she said again. "'I will go by the alley here, you by the street.' "'No!' "'Wait,' he said gravely. "'If nothing will change your mind, and I shall not be importunate, for we have met three times now, through the same peculiar chain of circumstances, I know we shall meet again. I have something to tell you before you go. As you already know, I went to Gypsy Nan's the night after I first saw you, because I felt you needed help. I went there in the hope that she would know where to find you.' and failing that, I left a message for you in the hope that, since she had tricked Rourke in your behalf, you would find means of communicating with her again. But all that is entirely changed now. Your participation in that Hayden Bond affair the other night makes Gypsy Nan's place the last in all New York to which you should go. Rhoda Gray stared through the semi-darkness, suddenly startled, searching the adventurer's face. "'What do you mean?' she demanded quickly. "'Just this,' he answered, "'that where before I hoped you would go there, "'I have spent nearly all the time since "'in haunting the vicinity of Gypsy Nan's house "'to warn you away in case you should try to reach her.' "'I... I don't understand,' she said, a little uncertainly. "'It's simple enough,' he said. "'Gypsy Nan is now one of those you have most to fear. "'Gypsy Nan is merely a disguise. "'She is no more Gypsy Nan than you are.' "'Rhoda Gray caught her breath.' "'Not Gypsy Nan?' she repeated, and fought to keep her voice in control. "'Who is she, then?' The adventurer laughed shortly. 
"'She is quite closely connected to that gentleman we left airing himself on the fire escape,' he said grimly. "'Gypsy Nan is Dangler's wife.' It was very strange, very curious. The alleyway seemed suddenly to be revolving around and around, and it seemed to bring her a giddiness and a faintness. The adventurer was standing there before her, but she did not see him any more. She could only see, as from a brink upon which she tottered, a gulf, abysmal in its horror, that yawned before her. "'Thank you. Thank you for the warning.' Was that her voice speaking so calmly and dispassionately? "'I will remember it. And I must go now. Good night again.' He said something. She did not know what. She only knew that she was hurrying along the alleyway now, and that he had made no effort to stop her, and that she was grateful to him for that, and that her composure, strained to the breaking point, would have given away if she had remained with him another instant. Dangler's wife? It was dark in the alleyway, and she did not know where it led. But did it matter? And she stumbled as she went along. But it was not the physical inability to see that made her stumble. It was a brain blindness that fogged her soul itself. His wife? Gypsy Nan was Dangler's wife? End of chapter 10